series that we've been in has been called Thinking Biblically in a Culturally Divided World. And uh, there's a graphic that uh, goes up behind these lyrics uh, that Josh is going to look at. And uh, the graphic depicts to us both the mindset of an individual and the Word of God. The mindset of the individual and the Word of God. And our hope was that the two would start to come together, especially as we are in a culturally divided world. And so I want to encourage you that even though we're finishing out this series today, that you would continue to think in terms of how your mindset and the Bible need to come together every day of your life. Because you are being encouraged to have your mindset drift in directions other than the Scriptures. It's not natural for us to move towards the mindset of Scriptures, which is the mindset of God, because we have fallen sinful natures and we have a distinct um, effort by the world to move us into worldly thinking. And we walked our way through... Uh, several weeks talking about your worldview makes a world of difference. That your authoritative truth, the authoritative truth of Scripture, is historical, and that's why we can trust it. We've looked at the cultural um, dynamic of that there's uh, a cultural age which is very secular that's pressing us into its mold. And then we sort of took a little bit of a turn, understanding that we are in a political season. And we're still in that season, it seems like, this week, right? And the political season is that we need to understand that we have allegiance foremostly to the kingdom party. And we have a need to find our identity alone in the kingdom party. And then last week, we looked at the whole subject of our divine election. And that our divine election, God choosing us, demands that we would have a, uh, an acceptance decision. Little did I know last week, though, when I spoke on electance, uh, your divine election needs an acceptance decision, that uh, when we were sort of also sort of angling with the idea that there was a presidential election and there was going to be an acceptance speech and that kind of stuff, that we would have the drama that we had this week, and to some degree still ongoing. This world, if there's any time in this nation that we've seen that there is, at least as it relates to the red team and the blue team, if there's a split down the middle, we saw it happen this week. Several states still too close to call in one sense. But a decision made that, hey, it was close enough to call uh, for President-elect or appearing President-elect uh, uh, Biden to step forward and speak as he spoke last evening. Now, for a lot of us, we can go in different directions. We can just tune it all out and say, forget this world, it didn't go the way I want. Or others of us can be champing and cheering like, hey, it went the way that I want. But what I want to call us to today is really calling us back to that idea that our identity stands foremostly in the kingdom party, that there is a divine election by which we are called to, by God, to make choices for Him, and Him electing us. But today, I want to press in and finish out in one sense. If you don't need it, I've needed it this week. 
And it's not just, hey, the COVID journey. Are we inside, outside? What's going on? I found myself in these weeks continuing to be balled up inside with angst, uncertainty. Yes, what the future holds for maybe a church that's in uh, the season that we're in, but what does the country hold and the changes that might be coming now and other kinds of things. Why is it that I have such a need to recenter myself every week on the truth of God's Word. Shouldn't I have it together by now? My goodness, I've been a pastor for 35 years. But this week, I found in myself needing to recenter on what I want to bring to you in heart today. And that simply is entitled this way. Your Savior reigns alone as Prince of Peace. Your Savior reigns alone as Prince of Peace. I don't know if it's because of the years I'm getting on with now or because I've been through so many uh, uh, election cycles or whatever, but part of me is engaged in what's happening and has my opinions here and there. And then there's another part of me that feels like I'm living uh, on another planet just sort of observing it all. And as we look at society and the traversing of people and generations, and you go, you just sort of wonder to yourself, God, what are you doing in all this? And what are you doing in our day and age? You know, this whole idea that we live in a culturally divided world, we think is sort of new to us in our generations. But you know what? It's not. Most of us, you know, I don't think there's anybody in here probably over 100 years old. Anybody here over 100? No, right? Maybe getting up in the 80s, so, so maybe some in the 90s, I don't know. But there is the reality that we have always had challenges in this nation. Even though we're called the United States of America, there has been division. I read something this week that uh, there was some uh, almanac or journal of social behavioral etiquette written, written in 1879 that said, do not discuss politics and religion in public settings with your friends. 1879, you were being given that instruction not to discuss religion and politics because it would bring division. Well, friends, you go back to the Civil War. Do you think that was a divided time in America? You bet it was. Can you realize the tension that would go back and forth with all that was a part of it? And Abraham Lincoln having to stand in the gap and be a part of that and be able to give instruction. He was in the midst of a lot of challenge and controversy as it related to what was going on in his time during the Civil War. I um, have a quote here by um, Abraham Lincoln that simply says this. He says, Sir, my concern is not whether he's addressing somebody else. Not whether God is on my side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Did you catch that? Sir, my concern is not whether God is on my side. My greatest concern is to be on God's side, for God is always right. Now what mindset does that come from, from President Lincoln? It comes from a biblical mindset in the midst of a culturally divided world. It's not, hey, I want God on my side. No, we find where God's at and then we get on His side and what He's doing in our world. 
What do you think about the 1960s? Do you think the 1960s was a very peaceful time? No, there was great division. The Vietnam War, the whole uh, youth movement at that time, there was great division. And so I want to call us to step up and step forward afresh and anew in our hearts and our relationships with others. It's fine with me if you talk politics and religion with your friends, but please talk it from a biblical framework, a worldview of what God's doing in His kingdom party, and that He's electing people to come into relationship with Him and to follow hard after Him. Because friends, we need the church to continue to step forward once again this week and rise to the level and be the church of Jesus Christ that we're called to. And we unify around Jesus and His kingdom. And when we talk today about what we're going to talk about related to Jesus, that is where our hope is. Do not be myopic, feeling like you're in some kind of situation in our world that's never been experienced before. Generations come. Generations go. Leaders rise. Leaders fall. As I was, in one sense, objectively watching the president-elect and the vice president-elect share some words last night and the horns honking and all the celebration. It wasn't that I wasn't dialed into you know, some gratitude that God works through the democracy process even when things are tight or whatever it may be and whatever side you may be on. I, I was saying, God, here again we go through another transition. Help us. Help us to be the people as the church and the nation that you've called us to be united in you. And may we have perspective on what's happened with time. Do any of you know who Malcolm Muggeridge is? Malcolm Muggeridge uh, was uh, a political um, animal a little bit. He was a journalist in, New, in England, in Britain. He actually died 20 years ago this uh, very month. He was an atheist, but he came to know Christ and he worked within the parliamental, uh, parliament system of Great Britain uh, for the Labour Party, I believe it was. And he would be described in one sense as a, uh, a person who was on uh, the political spectrum of, of some of the uh, socialism of the day or what perspectives could happen there. I think, let me make sure I get the right kind of terminology here as I work with this, is that he... Um, well, there I go. I just lost it, so I'm not going to be able to find it. That's what happens when you bring too many papers to the front on a Sunday morning. I wanted to get this right, and I forgot it. A prominent socialist politician and one of the early Labor Party members of Parliament uh, in Essex. He was editor of Punch Magazine, which was a satirist magazine. Very keen mind, very well known very much attuned to what was happening not only in politics but in cultural settings and what was going on. I want to share with you a couple quotes from Malcolm Muggeridge. The first is this. He says, I may, I suppose, regard myself or pass for being a relatively successful man. People occasionally stare at me in the streets. That's fame. I can fairly easily earn enough to qualify for admission to the higher slopes of the internal revenue. That's success. 
Furnished with money and a little fame, even the elderly, if they care to, may partake of trendy diversions, and that's pleasure. It might happen once in a while that something I said or wrote was sufficiently heated for me to persuade myself that it represented a serious impact on our time. That's fulfillment. Yet I say to you, listen to what he says, very prominent, uh, powerful, famous kind of person. Yet I say to you, and I beg you to believe me, multiply these tiny triumphs by a million. Add them all together and they are nothing, less than nothing, a positive impediment measured against one draught of that living water Christ offers to the spiritually thirsty, irrespective of who or what they are. Are you on a journey right now trying to find fame? trying to find success, trying to find popularity, trying to find influence, will take the word from someone who's been there, who was an atheist, who came and found his way to Christ, and he says, none of it, none of it compares to one drop of that beautiful, thirsty, refreshing water, the embrace that I have in knowing Christ Jesus. And I thought this week with the turmoil once again, what are Americans looking for? We just want peace. We want to restore the soul of America. However you want to frame it. But friends, there was a song once that I sang when I was younger by a group called the Imperials. And there was a statement in that song and it's just hung with me all my life. And it just simply says this, there will be no peace until God is seated at the conference table. And here's Muggeridge, been through all the politics, all the literature, all the writing, all the cultural transitions, all of his own searching for faith, finds it in Christ, and he makes that powerful statement, nothing compares except to what Jesus Christ has. That's the first quote. The second quote I want to bring to you is by way of video. And this quote is what struck my mind this week when I stood back and I saw all the, 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 the discord, all the posturing, all the uh, decisions, all the platitudes or lack thereof. And stepping back, I just said, Lord, I'm reminded of this Malcolm Muggeridge quote. When he steps back and he looks at things that were part of his day. And his day had Hitler and Mussolini. Stalin a part of them. This quote is spoken by Ravi Zacharias. It's depicted by an artist. Watch the screens as we listen to this Malcolm Muggeridge statement to give perspective, thinking biblically, in a culturally divided world. Here we stand in 2020. We look back upon history and what do we see? Empires rising and falling, revolutions and counter-revolutions, wealth accumulated and wealth dispersed. Shakespeare has spoken of the rise and fall of great ones that ebb and flow with the moon. 
I look back upon my own fellow countrymen of England, once upon a time dominating a quarter of the world. Most of them convinced in the words of what is still a popular song that the God who made them mighty shall make them mightier yet. I've heard a crazed, cracked Austrian announce to the world the establishment of a German Reich that would last a thousand years. I've seen an Italian clown saying he was going to stop and restart the calendar with his own ascension to power. I've seen a murderous Georgian brigand in the Kremlin acclaimed by the intellectual elite of the world as a wiser than Solomon, more humane than Marcus Aurelius, more enlightened than Ashoka. I have seen America more wealthier and in terms of military weaponry more powerful than the rest of the world put together so that had the American people so desired they could have outdone a Caesar or an Alexander in the range and scale of their conquests all in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone, gone with the wind. England, part of a tiny island of the coast of Europe, threatened with dismemberment and even bankruptcy. Hitler and Mussolini dead, remembered only in infamy. Stalin is a forbidden name in the regime he helped found and dominate for some three decades. America is haunted by fears of running out of the precious fluids that keeps the motorways roaring and the smog settling with painful memories of a disastrous campaign in Vietnam and the victory of the Don Quixotes of the media as they charge the windmills of Watergate. All in one lifetime, all in one lifetime, all gone with the wind. Behind the debris of the fallings of our solemn supermen and imperial diplomatists lies the gigantic figure of one person because of whom, by whom, in whom, and through whom mankind may still survive the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. I again present to you afresh and anew today the one who is the way who is the truth, and who is the life. May we find ourselves looking to the Prince of Peace and knowing that He alone is the one who will bring peace not only to our hearts, but to our country and ultimately to the world. Who is your allegiance to in this hour? Who are you championing to your friend or to your neighbor? We've been gifted the opportunities I've spoken in these weeks to engage in a democratic government. But friends, let's move on. If indeed that's what's happening, support those who God would place through His sovereignty, even though we may not understand things. But may we point people to the Lord Jesus Christ. All in one lifetime. All in one lifetime. Gone. Gone with the wind. How many presidential individuals have you seen come and go? Some were stronger than others, some not. Some had good political positions, economic, social positions, some maybe not so. But friends, our allegiance is to one who stands alone and will stand forever as the Prince of Peace. And I don't know if that's all that God just wanted me to impart to you today. But I know for sure, if there's nothing else you remember, I want you to remember, it's the Prince of Peace that your allegiance needs to be to. 
You know, every year we all sort of fall into this wondering as to how does Christmas get pushed upon us so early? Whatever your store in, you know, they're starting to set those decorations out as soon as summer seems to close on the other side of Labor Day. And so we live in Christmas winterland, uh, winter wonderland when we go into Lowe's and Costco for uh, uh, one-fourth of the whole year. Some of you are very happy about that. Like, you're ready to get the lights up, let's go, and that's okay. But I, I hesitated to reference Prince of Peace because I thought, oh, oh, let's not do that. That's a part of the Christmas story. Hey, if they're doing it in the retail departments, I can do it here. I'm pushing Christmas on you early. How about that? Can I take you to the passage where Prince of Peace comes from? It says this in Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. This is a prophetic word 2,000 years before Jesus was born. The Isaiah speaks. And the Jewish people, the Israelites, they longed for this. They saw in this verse their coming Messiah. When they rejected Jesus, when he did come, they would go back and sort of reframe this passage. But this is a prophetic word spoken into advance. A son is given, but a child was born. The son is given because he's always been Christ, God himself, the maker of all the world in eternity past forever and ever comes and dwells among us. And then they began to articulate some names. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and what? Prince of Peace. Why would you give him the name Prince of Peace? He came 2,000 years ago. Even that was 2,000 years after the prediction. There's not much peace. You just said, Pastor Kerry, that there will be no peace until God is seated at the conference table. Well, would you open the doors and let's let him sit down and take the headship? He's working out his plan. This prophecy predicted it, but one of the key phrases of his name is Prince of Peace. Verse 7, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. Maybe I ought to memorize that. Maybe I should this week to help peace in my own heart. His government, His peace, there will be no end even though we live in culturally divided worlds and turmoil that still exists around this world. When Jesus Christ came, the Prince of Peace, He inaugurated a plan that God the Father from the beginning of time set into motion that's moving us to a culmination of His kingdom whereby None of us in this room, if we're followers of Christ, will complain someday about what's going on in our world. We will say, oh man, I am glad that the Prince of Peace, the King of Kings, the Wonderful Father, Everlasting One, is on the throne. And then it goes on and finishes out in that short little segment, He will reign on David's throne and over His kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice Oh, yeah. And righteousness. Yes. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. The zeal of the Lord will accomplish this. He's accomplishing it 
even though you may wonder, is it really happening all that much right now? The Lord Jesus, Prince of Peace, is on the throne. And He is making and turning all things right, even in the midst of a challenging election season. One of the verses that's often pulled out at a time such as this that we've been in with this election season, and especially on the other side of when the elections sort of come to a culmination, are words that are found by the Apostle Paul when he addressed Timothy. Timothy was a young underwrite of his. Most likely Paul had been recently released out of his first imprisonment in Rome. He had traveled to Ephesus. He had placed Timothy in charge in this city of Ephesus to help lead as the pastor. And it was in Macedonia that this letter is written to Timothy when he's heard things about Timothy. And so in 1 Timothy, we find these words that are written in chapter 2 by the Apostle Paul. He urges us, it says, I urge you, first of all, that petitions, prayers, and intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Good verse? Good exhortation? Yes, it is. He's telling Timothy in his ministry work, to lift up petitions, prayers, and intercessions for all kinds of people, including those who are president, president-elect, senators, congressmen, state representatives, whatever it may be. He says those who are in places of authority, we need to lift up prayers and intercession for them. So we need to turn our hearts in that direction. And when we turn our hearts in that direction, we are uh, hoping, we are praying to God that there will be a livelihood that's peaceful, and we can leave, live out our lives in quiet godliness and holiness for Him. That's a great passage, and I bring it to you as an exhortation. However, I want to take a turn here, because you'd expect the pastor to say that, right? This verse then steps in to where that hope is. That hope is found in Christ. Paul says this to Timothy, this is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. Now, He's saying pray for those in authority. But as we pray for those in authority, we need to understand where peaceful living, holiness, and righteousness is going to come from. It's not going to come from them measuring up to whatever standard we hope they measure up to or our government. It's going to come through the Prince of Peace, through Christ Himself, and how He is the Savior of our world. And He's the one who mediates between God and us and he gave himself, sacrificed himself on a cross, was raised from the grave. He broke the power of Satan. He provided the payment for our sins. It's through him that we have this change and this regeneration that goes on. Talked about it some last week. So let's pray. But let's labor in the kingdom to uphold the Prince of Peace. And let's call others to him. 
But now, I want you to know something. You do not live in a world without spiritual warfare. We are not yet there again on the other side of the second coming when Jesus comes to establish His peaceful reign in a physical dynamic on this earth. We stand in what we call uh, the church age between His first coming and His second coming. And in this church age, there is turmoil, there is fighting, there is brokenness, there is cultural division because there is warfare going on. There is a huge battle going on in your world. Even the desk next to you, or I guess during COVID it would be the Zoom call next to you, or whatever it may be, there's a battle going on over the hearts and the souls and the lives of people. And so here's Timothy being exhorted, urged to pray for those in authority that we can go about peaceful living. But then he brings up this aspect of Christ. Jesus was called the Prince of Peace. We will call him someday the Prince of Peace when we see him face to face. But did Jesus come to bring peace in the here and now moment? Well, that's a big question, Carrie. There's a lot of verses that talk about peace, that we need to have peace. We're going to look at the, just a few of those in a second. But do you know that Jesus himself said some pretty punchy words when he was talking to his disciples related to the cultural, political and social environments of his day, including households. John 16, 33, Jesus says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. He knows that you can have peace in him, but he knows that in this world there's going to be trouble. There's going to be anxiety. There's going to be pushback. There's going to be conflict. And I'm sorry, you can't opt out. You can't close up the box and say, can I play another game or open another app? This is the world in which you and I live. Jesus understood this world. And then Jesus says this in Luke 12. These are striking words. I have come to bring fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. He was facing and looking at the cross. Do you think I came to bring peace on this earth? No, I tell you, but division from now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other and three against two and two against three. They will be divided father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. What? Wait a second, Carrie. How, how did you just swing this whole talk that direction? You were talking about something that was warm and fuzzy. The Prince of Peace, you know, Jesus Christmas. How did you get off on this passage of Jesus where Jesus, you know, he's point blank and it says, did I come to bring peace? No, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. Who would like to stand up and exhort us and exegete that passage? Oliver, would you like to do that for us? Where's Mike? Somebody else at Debbie, would you like to do that for us? What in the world is Jesus doing here? 
I thought he said in this world you have tribulation, but I've come to give you peace. But then he's asking, he says, I didn't come to bring peace. There's division. What Jesus is reflecting on here is this journey in this church age. Because there's warfare going on. And there's battles over the hearts and the souls of individuals' lives, including your own children. And this battle needs to be understood. We long for the Prince of Peace. Jesus can bring peace to the hearts of people. But you are in a constant state of cultural divide. In part, friends, because of the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not a celebrity. Jesus Christ is not uh, your favorite politician. Jesus Christ is the Lord of heaven and earth. And when He comes to the human heart that is fallen and sinful, there is direct conflict that says, I don't want that. I'll accept Jesus as Savior, but I don't want Him as Lord. Have you ever heard that phrase? I don't know if that's possible, friends. You accept Jesus or believe in Him for who He is. And who He is is the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the everlasting Father, right? The Prince of Peace. That's who He is. And His Lordship is causing conflict and pain in our current world. Jesus understood this. He stepped back. He told His disciples, you know, I guess I haven't come to bring peace. Because what I've come is to bring my reign, my kingdom, my leadership, my rulership to this earth that will last forever when I come again the second time. And it's going to cause problems in this world. So do not go about pouting or praying out, oh my God, my God, calm everything down. We are not in the culmination of the kingdom yet. We are in between the age to come and this present age and there's conflict and Jesus knew that even within family units, a mother would be turned against a daughter, a daughter to a because it's like, wait a second. Now here's my encouragement to you, my exhortation. Make sure that if there is division, that it's not a result of self-centered division, but it's natural division that comes about because we've upheld the Lordship of Jesus Christ and truth of His Word. There will be conflict, and that conflict will come because there's a battle going on over the hearts and the souls of every single person in this room, online, and our friends and our families. But friends, He is the Prince of Peace. Empires rise and empires fall. I've seen one leader after another all gone gone with the wind. But who arises in the midst of it is the one who is our Savior, Jesus Christ. Prepare well to uphold the life-giving truth that Jesus Christ brings peace. And may you find yourself in these days being the servant of Jesus to forward His good news that there is one who is who stands, who reigns alone as the Prince of Peace. Our Savior reigns alone as Prince of Peace in three ways. And I move through these quickly as we close. The first is that through Jesus, you and your friends and your family members can have peace with God. 
you can also secondly have the peace of God. And thirdly, let's all pray and long for that day when there will be peace made by God in all the world. Peace with God, Romans 5.1 says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. You can have peace with God if you accept His offer of salvation. We prayed it last week. We can pray it again this week if you so desire. If you've never been in a place where you cross the line of faith and believed in Jesus as the Lord and Savior who died on a cross was raised from the grave for the forgiveness of your sins and you sincerely believe and trust in Him, you can make that decision by confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart this very day. And you can find peace with God. It's not by works, not by our own righteousness so that no one can boast. It's only through Jesus. And Jesus came the first time to bring peace with God. The peace of God follows on the hills of that peace with God. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace Himself give you peace at all times and every way. The Lord be with all of you. And in Colossians 3.15, men and men's group this week, we're going to start looking at Colossians 3. So come, Saturday morning. But Colossians 3.15 says this, Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you were called to peace. You see, the Prince of Peace is not something you try to grab off of a shelf and apply it to you. The Prince of Peace is somebody that comes inside of your life when you have peace with God. And so the one who is the Prince of Peace, Jesus, didn't He have some uncanny answers? Yeah, we had a tough answer there we saw today in Luke when He was asked, are you come to bring peace? And He says, no, I come to bring division. But think of Jesus and all the turmoil He was around. The shenanigans. The obstruction... And he lived a life full of peace and strength and wisdom. That Jesus, that Prince of Peace, if you're a believer of Christ today, here and out there online, that Prince of Peace is not on a shelf. That Prince of Peace dwells within you and me. And when I had my challenges this week, I just said, Lord, I don't know why I get myself in these states. But would you allow your peace to rule in my heart now? You know, the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. It means tranquility, calm. I want tranquility and calm. No matter what the storm may be, and maybe your storm is, is a personal storm, it's a battle, it's a relationship battle, it's a physical battle, it's a financial battle, it's an uncertainty battle. I don't know what your storm is today, but the peace that passes all understanding can be a part of your life through the Prince of Peace, and you have to yield to let His peace work through your heart. And our minds get going and we start spinning, oh, I need to do this, I need to do that, or that didn't go my way. So wait, stop! Jesus, you live within me. Will you live through me in this particular moment? May your peace spread broadly in my heart. If you're a believer of Christ today and you have peace with God, then good news.
the Prince of Peace can give you His peace in the moment. The peace of God. Which passes all understanding. A lot of verses about the third, the peace by, the peace by God. This one comes out of Daniel 2.44, another prophetic word. Just talking about the culmination of that day when He'll make all things right in the physical realm. The God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed, nor will it be left to another person. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it itself will endure forever. Nations rise, nations fall, leaders come, leaders go. Dictators step in, dictators die. All gone, gone with the wind. But amidst it all, in the political and the cultural and societal stories that are going on in every nation, there's one who stands and emerges above it all. The one who is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. Your Savior reigns alone as Prince of Peace. May you have peace with God. May you have the peace of God. And friends, may we long and look forward with a heart of thanksgiving for that day when there will be peace by God in our world. Amen.